This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, party people. I'm going to have to apologize in advance. There are dogs barking outside, and although I am tucked away into the podcast closet, uh, I can still hear them, so hopefully you can't. Maybe if I just talk loud enough, you won't hear them. <laughs> it's, it's a strategy, I guess. It's not probably not the best strat- strategy, but like, I could try, right? Okay, so because we just talked uh, two days ago, Nope, yesterday, because we, I'm filming this on Monday, so because we talked yesterday, I don't have a whole lot of updates other than the fact that I am really excited to talk to you guys on Thursday with the Conspiracy Theory Thursday that's coming out. Uh, I have fallen deep into a rabbit hole and only took a break from that to do this because this is more urgent, right? You know, I'm trying to prioritize my life. So, um, seriously... I love my Titanic video. I think I'm really getting good at starting to edit things and like understanding. Also, I had to edit out the word um at least 40 times for my Titanic video. And I realized yesterday that I am becoming very self-aware in the fact that I say um way too much. So I'm going to really try to reel that back. When I wrote this episode, I, I tried a little harder to script it better so there would be less thinking involved. Because apparently when I think I have, like, I just can't not do it, right? Um, so I'm sorry. There I go. Sorry if that's been annoying. I just noticed it about myself, and now I'm going to be super self-conscious about it. So sorry in advance. That's the tea. I say um too much. I'm working on myself, okay? <laughs> I'm working on myself, okay? So... I also say so too much, but listen, you can only ask for so much from me. Like I can, I can get rid of one or the other right now. I can work on um right now and so will come later. It's a really good transition word. It gives off just the right enough amount of attitude. I can't help myself. <laughs> like I, I, I understand that I have a problem. I'll work on it eventually. Today, friends, we're going to be talking about uh, Paul Dennis Reed. I didn't ever hear this guy. And he was so recent, too. I mean, well, not like recent, recent, but more recent than most crimes that I talk about. And I've never even heard of him. So I'm really excited to bring this to you. I had quite the fun time researching this. Well, as much fun as you can have researching serial killers, but he was fascinating. So I did fall down a rabbit hole or two for this one, which I think that's another word I say too much is rabbit hole. But once again, we're focusing on the U word right now that I'm going to try not to say anymore. So (laughs) the dumb thing is, is now that I pointed it out, you're going to notice. And that really bothers me. I shouldn't have said anything. But if you hear me stuttering, it's because I'm trying like so hard to not do it. So, (laughs) So I'm sorry in advance. I'm just, you know, sorry city right now. Today we're talking about Paul Dennis Reed, as I previously stated. His nickname is the Fast Food Killer, which is also my nickname when I get drunk. No, I'm just kidding. Um, He, damn it, he was born on November 12th, 1957. He was born in Richland Hills, Texas, which is in the northeast part of Texas. It's a suburb of Fort Worth. It's 
not in the hat part of Texas, but easter of that. You know the shape of Texas. Everybody knows the shape of Texas, right? <laughs> Paul Dennis Reed Jr., uh, he was one of several children born to Paul and Joni Reed in Texas, as I said. Uh, his parents got divorced, and Paul and his sister lived with their grandmother for a time. Uh, she did what she could, but apparently Paul was just a fucking menace to be around. He abused animals. He was the class bully. He stole, destroyed property. And I mean, at the age of four, this motherfucker tried to attempt to murder his grandmother. <laughs> so he, at some point, she was like, yep, I'm not going to play this game anymore. You tried to kill me at the age of four. You're a bad dude. And she, uh, apparently went to her church and discussed this with a priest, and the priest was like, yeah, homie, you probably need to get rid of this kid. He's a bad boy, which that happened when he was eight, so she lived with someone who tried to kill her for four years, which I don't think I would personally do, even if it was my grandson. At four years old, get out of my house. Like, <laughs> you're gonna try to murder me? Go away. Uh, so she sent him to a uh, boy's home, fearing for her safety and the safety of others. Good job, Grandma. That makes sense. Don't trust that little shit. He's gonna murder you. If he couldn't at four, it's probably because his weak little four-year-old hands couldn't murder you efficiently. Don't let him get any bigger and older and stronger because he will try to kill you. <laughs> um, as he grew, damn it, as he grew, Paul dabbled in drug use, um, and then he was trying to sexually abu abuse his sister and his mother, and he had a lengthy juvenile record. After things such as, like, fighting, stealing cars, and theft, he dropped out of school, and he was, like, just super physically violent, and he had a really awful temper with no regard for the law. So this kid is a little shitbag. So sometimes, uh, he and a friend would fucking commit crimes. You know how it is. Uh, <laughs> and he was convicted in 1984 for a series of restaurant robberies. Uh, and yeah, apparently... He knew how to, well, I mean, he obviously wasn't all that great at it, but he knew how to con the police into, like, believing him. He looked like a respectable kid, and he was able to get around looking suspicious, apparently. So, I mean, he was really weird. He, uh, he assaulted the jail staff and the hospital staff at the jail, he said he had mental abuse, and he said he was being controlled by the government, uh, scientific technology devices, and, I mean, for some reason, even though he was labeled as a dangerous potential menace to society, he was paroled in 1990. So that's pretty cool. Don't know why you'd let this motherfucker out, but apparently, cool. So he lived in Texas and Oklahoma. And sometimes he hung out in Illinois. He was suspected of molesting children of girlfriends and family. Uh, he's just a, a, a shitty, shitty man. So that happened. He was, yeah, okay. He was arrested in 1983 in Texas. Those are the, the charges that um, he robbed a steakhouse in Houston. That's what he got caught for. And he was about 26 at that time. He served seven years of his sentence, which was supposed to be 20 years, and he was paroled in 1990, like I said, even though, I will remind you, they said he was dangerous and a potential menace to society, 
but they still paroled him in 1990. You know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Uh, so after that, our boy Paul Reed decides that he wants to be a country music singer, which is an interesting career move on his part. I guess it's better than robbing restaurants. So good for him. He uh, bought a guitar and he learned how to play it. He made a few demo recordings. He actually apparently had plastic surgery and he had a stage name uh, as Justin Parks. And so he said he sounded like uh, Garth Brooks in his own mind. And then he apparently was like, listen, I'm good enough. I'm moving to Nashville, Tennessee to uh, become a country singer. As we all do, right? <laughs> it's your mid-20s life crisis. You got to go. Yeah, your quarter-life crisis is to move to Nashville and become a country singer, right? Isn't that what we all, we all do that, right? So flash forward to 1997. Paul is living in Nashville with a roommate in a boarding house, and he was working at a Shoney's in Nashville as a dishwasher. Unfortunately, I have no idea what the hell a Shoney's is. We do not have one of those in Cleveland. I googled it to be sure. It seems like your average run-of-the-mill fast food restaurant, I guess. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I have no idea. I looked at the menu. It looked like a KFC, like a bougie KFC. I could be wrong. So he's working at Shoney's. So here's there's a little inconsistency in the research that I was able to find, uh, because I thought this happened on February 15th, 1997, and other research that I've read said February 27th, 1997, uh, and it was pretty 50-50 split between the two, and they're both fairly credible sources, so I'm not entirely sure what day this actually happened, and that's like a big difference because if it happens on the 15th, his future actions make a little more sense. And if it doesn't happen on the 15th and it happens on the 27th instead, it happens kind of in the middle of everything, which didn't, that doesn't feel right for me. Uh, because technically, Paul Reed is not what people, I mean, he's kind of a serial killer, but he's also considered a spree killer too, I've read, um, because of how, well, there's two months between all these crimes like a two months total. Uh, so I guess in my head, he was already a violent individual. So it makes sense for, I'm committing to the 15th as the day this happened, because it feels like for me, it feels like it fits the timeline. Now, if I'm wrong and it's actually the 27th, I'm sorry. That's not the reality I live in. No. <laughs> That's just, it just, this makes more sense to me. So I'm just going to go with the 15th. Okay. So it's the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th, 1997. I'm committing. Um, so apparently he's working at Shoney's, living his best life, washing his dishes, and he gets pissed off at another coworker. And apparently he throws a plate at the coworker. From the article that I read, this coworker was a small, uh, I did not specify gender, but a small individual who could have, quote, easily gotten very hurt from getting hit with this plate. Uh, so the, the manager was pretty upset about it and fired, uh, our boy Paul Reed on the spot and said, like, get the fuck out of my restaurant. Fine. And this is why I think the 15th is right, because the next day on February 16th, Paul Reed goes to a Captain D's, 
um, which is in the same neighborhood as the Shoney's that Paul was fired from. Uh, we also don't have a Captain D's. I don't know what I don't know what that is. It's a seafood restaurant, from what I've gathered, uh, but I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's like a Long John Silver's. I'm not sure. I don't know what a Captain D's is. But so he goes to Captain D's, and it's it's early in the morning. They're not technically open yet, but there are employees inside the store. So he he somehow convinces these employees to let him in, and he forces them to go back into well he lets them in under the impression that he wants a job so they let him in and he forces the two the two employees there um 16 year old sarah jackson and her manager 25 year old steve hampton um he forces them into the cooler at the back of the restaurant there he forces them to lay down on the ground and he shoots them both execution style and he also steals all the money from the register of the restaurant Sarah was only one month away from turning 17, and Steve was a father of three and a loving, faithful husband. So, obviously, people are fucking upset, as they should be. Why did this happen? It happened out of nowhere. Why did these two innocent people get shot? Like, he could have just locked them in the cooler, taken the money, and skittled that right on out, you know? He didn't have to kill them. He could have just locked them and moved away, but he, he maybe had learned... Uh, from his previous experiences of, you know, robbing places and since he spent time in jail that he was like, huh, you know, I really don't like being in jail. So I don't have to go to jail if I kill the people that I robbed from. Right. Uh, I feel like there's better ways to go about that. Why don't you just like get a job and not throw plates at people? That's pretty a pretty consistent way to earn money. Just a thought. Paul Reed, just a just a one way to think about it, you know. So, uh, two days later, on February 18th, Paul used the money that he stole from Captain D's to put a down payment on a car. For obvious reasons, as I kind of alluded to earlier, for obvious reasons, people were pretty fucking pissed off this happened. Because it was a super violent crime, it happened out of nowhere, and they, they, I mean, people were really reeling in the aftermath of this attack. Police found Steve's wallet and the contents of said wallet on the side of the road, and they had a partial print of a killer found on a, a movie rental card. So I'm assuming it must have been, I don't know, like a Blockbuster card. They found the Blockbuster card and it had a partial print on it that did not belong to Steve. So they have kind of a lead, but they don't know anybody to test this partial print against as it happens. Restaurants changed their procedures. Um, everything was super locked down because they knew a killer was on the loose at this point, a ruthless, cold-hearted killer who literally just killed two people execution style for a couple thousand dollars. So there, you know, there's no, you don't know what this man is capable of, right? Cool. So over a month passes and obviously, you know, the initial shock of what happened kind of fades away and there's nothing bad about that. That's just human nature. We have to continue to go on. And as upsetting and awful and terrible as it is, people were on the lookout for a really long time and eventually things have to start kind of going back to normal. So people were starting to let their guards back down and relax a little bit. Okay. On March 23rd, 1997, uh, the employees at a McDonald's were closing up their store, and this store was about three miles away from the Captain D's that uh, only a month earlier had just gotten, you know, murdered. So the four employees exited the store because they just closed it up, but Paul was waiting outside. He forced all of the employees back into the store at gunpoint, and he forced them into the storeroom and shot three of them execution style. That evening, 17-year-old Andrea Brown, 27-year-old Ronald Santiago, and 23-year-old Robert A. Sewell lost their lives. 
Reed turned his gun on the fourth employee, whose name was Jose Gonzalez, but his weapon failed. So instead of shooting him, Paul stabbed Jose 17 times and left him for dead in that cooler. Gonzalez pretended to be dead, and it was only his third day on the job. Like, how fucking awful. Uh, Paul stole over 3K from the registers and left the restaurant. At this point, everybody was in agreement that there was a serial killer on the loose in Nashville. The media press dubbed him the fast food killer, uh, and much like the last time, a month had passed again before anything else happened. And I was thinking strategically... If he's waiting a month to do this, like do the rob and kill, he must be paying his bills. So he he must be stealing enough money at each time to kind of placate him and his bills and his life for a month and then go back to doing it. He has to fund his life somehow. I mean, he just put a down payment on a car. He has rent to pay. He probably has utilities to pay. So his way of paying these things is by robbing these restaurants. And he must be getting enough money from this because he's... He's only robbing once a month. Yes. Uh, so on April 23rd, 1997, he hit again. He was unable to finagle his way into... Uh, oh, he was able to finagle his way into a Baskin-Robbins, which I know what that is. We have one. Um, and it's located about 50 miles away from Nashville in Clarksville. This time, though, he he changes his M.O. just a little bit. He does not murder the employees ex- execution style at the scene. Instead, he kidnaps them. 21-year-old Angela Holmes and 16-year-old Michelle Mace were taken from the store. Their bodies were eventually found the next day at a nearby park, which was the Dunbar Cave State Natural Area. Both girls had their throats slashed. Unironically, at the time, Paul Reed's girlfriend lived in the same neighborhood as Michelle. Which, that's just heartbreaking. I don't remember if it said he stole anything from that Baskin-Robbins, but how fucked up just to go in there and kill people. If robbery's a motive, I don't think it excuses the action, but at least with robbery, I understand a little bit more than just cold-blooded murder, if that makes sense. Uh, in my head, you know, you want something, you're taking something, and you're going to stop whoever is trying to stop you from taking that thing. But just to out and kill somebody... It seems like there isn't even a transaction there. It's pointless. It was literally pointless for that person to die. Not that, you know, getting killed in a robbery makes it any better, but at least there was a reason. You were at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, that person wanted to rob you. Just getting murdered to be murdered is so dumb. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's such a waste of life. All murder is a waste of life, but he didn't even have a motive this time. He didn't even, from my knowledge, take anything from that Baskin-Robbins. Dumb them. So, um, you know, they found them and that was that. They still hadn't caught their guy. So on June 25th, 1997, mind you, three months roughly um, from the last attack, Paul Reed went to his old manager's house. So remember from Shoney's, the guy who fired him for throwing a plate at a small human? Uh, Yeah, he goes to his manager's house under the pretense of wanting another job, like getting his old job back. Uh, his manager's name was Mitch Roberts. Apparently, this guy was weird, and Roberts was like, nope, I don't like the way that felt when he talked to Paul. So he called the police and uh, let them know, hey, I suspect this guy I know might be being the guy who's murdering people. So he uh, calls the police, and the police arrest him, and they take his uh, print 
and they matched the video rental card, the Blockbuster card. After being arrested, uh, Paul Dennis Reed's trial became an unprecedented one. Uh, jurors apparently were brought in from East and Western ten- Tennessee for the first time in over seven years in order to give Paul a fair trial. They even went as far as to monitor phone calls to the jurors so they wouldn't have any updates from the ongoing trial. So you couldn't even call these jurors to like update them on anything. They were monitoring all the calls. They wanted to make sure ongoing media coverage didn't sway the jurors in any way. So Paul Reed was tried three separate times, and the evidence against him was pretty fucking rock solid. As I said before, from the Captain D's murders, Steve Hampton's wallet was located on the side of the road with a partial fingerprint on the the Blockbuster card. Uh, It was obviously connected to Paul Reed. That's why he got arrested. From the McDonald's murders, Jose Antonio Ramirez Gonzalez, that Billy Badass... Uh, He was the man who was left 17 times and stabbed for dead, testified against Paul Reed. Fuck you, Paul Reed. And way do you fucking go, Jose Gonzalez. Like, you did it. And I'm so fucking proud of him. What a moment to testify against somebody who tried to kill you. I would, I would take that fucker down. Like, I'd have to be in a cage so I didn't try to murder him myself if he tried to kill me. You know. Fight or get fought, bro. Um... So yeah, he testified against Paul Reed in a real big fuck you, and I love that. Uh, From the Baskin-Robbins murder, investigators found forensic evidence in Paul's car, as well as a credit card purchase that um, placed him in the area, which is about 50 miles away from where he lived, so it was kind of weird that he was there that night. Forensic accounting, you know what it be. Uh, They also found blood from the victims on his shoes, and that trial, the Baskin-Robbins trial, happened between the other two trials, because it happened in a different city. Uh, Paul Reed was convicted of seven counts of first-degree murder, and he received the death penalty for all seven convictions. He was supposed to be executed in 2003, but was able to avoid the execution by mere hours. Uh, He had been able to avoid the death penalty for several years, um, once again, that bureaucratic delay. It was argued by the state, as well as his family, that he wasn't stable, he was mentally ill, and that they shouldn't kill him because he didn't understand what he did wrong. Now wrong. (laughs) I am really sure that Paul Reed knew exactly what he was doing and why. So don't come at me with that bullshit. He was able to stave off his execution date several times, but at the end of the day, the Tennessee Supreme Court held steadfast and said they wanted to see this fucker killed. Love you, Tennessee. Love that. Uh, They were not going to commute the death penalty, and apparently... Well, for this, this case received a lot of attention from the anti-death penalty activists saying that I'm um, trying to kill Paul Reed because he didn't he didn't understand what he was doing. Mind you, that was sarcasm. Uh, was inhumane. Uh, it's not. He knew what he was doing. I can, I can assure you, he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, yes. Sorry, I got... <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Let me just say it one more time. Get it out. Move along. Um, and... Okay, I guess, like, arguably, at the end, maybe uh, he he was a little off-kilter, but he definitely does... Okay, just being weird doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing when you kill people, right? Like, everybody's a little bit weird. I'm a little bit weird. But if I killed somebody, I would know it, right? I don't know how you would just be like, oops, I didn't know I did that. So, he was talking about... Uh, he was having his mind controlled by scientific technology and... The prosecution, they were trying to say he didn't believe 
that everything was real. He thought that he was in some type of dream world and that uh, all the, the court cases were just like a play filled with actors. And the prosecution came back at him saying that he was using that as a defense mechanism to avoid the death penalty, which absolutely. Uh, you can say some crazy shit during trial, but that doesn't mean people are going to think you're crazy. I mean, I guess I don't fault him for trying, I suppose, but it's also like, dude, come, just, just, time's run out, the game's over, the jig is up, like, you, <laughs> you did what you did, and now, you, you know, you gotta pay the price for it, you don't just get to do whatever you want, that's not how life works, <laughs> every action has a consequence, correct? So, yeah, regardless of any of that, uh, the death penalty stayed, as I stated, he got seven of them, uh, the most ever to be handed down to one single person in Tennessee history. So that's a fun thing. Uh, his last execution date was scheduled for January 3rd, 2008, but uh, there was all kinds of stuff, and it's very boring. I mean, I guess it's not if you really like the legal matter of it, but if you just want to see this guy get killed, this is boring for you, I'm assuming, because it was boring for me. Uh, some bureaucratic... But, talking about the constitutionality of Tennessee's, I almost said Texas, Tennessee's lethal injection methods, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't related to Reed's case, but it was just a bunch of hoopla about, you know, the way they're killing people wasn't humane, apparently. I don't know. I don't know what exactly that means, but okay. So, yes. People were saying that Reed was undeniably brain damaged, but I just can't I I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Eventually, um, over the course of several years, Reed decided to give up and said he didn't want to keep um, trying to appeal the death penalty. Uh, he knew, you know, <laughs> like the, yeah, finally, I think he realized the jig's up. And so he ab abandoned his appeals to ex and accepted the death, pe death sentence. But apparently his sister... Um, refused to keep, like, refused to let him do that, and apparently that was a whole big to-do. Um, the Tennessee Supreme Court said earlier, um, in his trial that they could not continue to appeal his convictions without him being on their side. So basically the fact that he laid down and accepted his death sentence, uh, his family and his lawyers weren't allowed to fight for him anymore. Uh, so even though the death penalty was delayed, it's all kind of a moot point, uh, Paul Reed would never die from the uh, electric, well, lethal injection. I was an electric chair. Don't think they do that anymore. Uh, the lethal injection, he died at the Nashville General Hospital on November 1st, 2013. Uh, he died from natural causes, but specifically, he had a case of pneumonia with like ongoing heart failure and respiratory issues. Uh, he was in the hospital for about two weeks before he finally succumbed to his illness at uh, a ripe 55 years old. So he would never, ever get to be murdered by the state of Tennessee, which is kind of um, disappointing. Yeah, I'll say disappointing is the right word, uh, because I really do believe someone as awful as this guy really does deserve the death penalty, right? Um, yeah, so that was your True Crime Tuesday. Uh, it, that is that is it. That's That's where it ends. Unfortunately, there's like no real happy ending to this one. Um, they can't all have happy endings, right? Oh, excuse me. So, uh, if you liked this, 
you know, follow me on Instagram or I'll see you guys on true crime or not true crime. Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Ooh, I love this series. There's it's so much fun. Conspiracy theories are like next to true crime. Conspiracy theories are my jam. Uh, so I'm happy to have that YouTube channel be finally what it is. I feel like I'm finally in my element. And so if you have an interest in looking that up, feel free to check it out. Um, like, subscribe, follow on all social medias. And that's what I'm here for. And, uh, let me know what you like, what I'm doing, cause I'll keep doing it. And if not, then I'll probably still keep doing it. <laughs> Because I do this for me, as I've stated many, many, many times, I do this for me, not for you, but if you like it, that makes me happy too. So um, with that all being said, I will see you all, if you choose, on Thursday for Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and if not, I will see you on Sunday for Serially Short Sunday. And that's the tea on that, sis, so I'll catch you next time.